Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, as we've already sung tonight, uh, your word is powerful uh, and it changes us. And we, do, we pray that you would uh, use your word uh, to do that now, uh, that we'd be spurred on to live uh, radical lives for Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, what do you think it looks like to be spiritual? But what does a spiritual person look like? Well, I thought of a few possibilities. Uh, I wonder, uh, is it based on how long you've been going to church? Uh, if so, then uh, I'm, not, I'm probably not doing so well since I only started going to church when I was at uni. Or is it perhaps being able to use lots of Christian jargon? So, you know, casually throwing a word like uh, predestination or propitiation into a conversation. It's a bit like speaking in another language, isn't it? Or is it perhaps being able to answer all the questions in a Bible study before anyone else can say anything? Or if it's not those things, is it perhaps being uh, a, a successful Christian leader? I mean, surely they would be super spiritual. So someone like Billy Graham, uh, he's travelled all around the world doing crusades and apparently he's led over three million people to the faith. Or perhaps someone like John MacArthur. He's got over 8,000 people going to his church who he's seen growing in the faith. So surely he would be super spiritual. Or perhaps John Piper. His sermons are among the most uh, most downloaded on the internet. He's got over 500,000 followers on Twitter. And so he must be super spiritual. And when you think about it, we do want to praise God for leaders like this because God has used them to do amazing things. But when you think about it, what should our attitude towards them be? Is it right for us to put them up on pedestals as if they're super spiritual? Well, in our passage tonight, we'll see that this was the problem that the Corinthians had. They were putting their leaders up on pedestals. And we'll see that Paul is saying three things to them that they were immature because they'd misunderstood the place of leaders as well as their own place. He's saying the Corinthians were immature because they'd misunderstood the place of leaders as well as their own place. And so firstly, he says the Corinthians are immature. And just imagine being part of the Corinthian church and hearing this. The Apostle Paul, who founded your church, is writing to you. Uh, And he says... The last time I came to you, you were just baby Christians. I gave you milk. I taught you the basics of the faith. And now three years on, what are you like? Well, you're just still little babies. You haven't matured at all. You You can't even eat solid food. And so you're still only ready for the basics. He's saying you should have advanced by now. See, my son Josiah is only two months old uh, and so he's breastfeeding at the moment. Uh, But in three years' time, I'm expecting that he'll be able to eat chips and cheeseburgers and pizza or maybe some healthy alternative. But he won't be still living off milk. And yet the Corinthians are saying, uh, Paul's saying the Corinthians are so immature that this is what they're like. They're still on milk. And why is he saying this? Well, it's because of the way that they're living. They're taking their eyes off Jesus and they're focusing on their leaders instead. You see, if you lived in Corinth back then, uh, you were in the centre of learning. 
So you had all sorts of different philosophers and speakers coming and sharing their thoughts. And everyone in the city would flock to listen to the latest ideas. And because the people wanted to look good and feel important, they'd sort of attach themselves to different speakers so that that speaker's status would apply to them. But the problem was that the Christians were influenced by this. So they were doing the exact same thing in the church. They'd formed fan clubs for their different leaders and each of the fan clubs would exalt their leader like they were a hero and they'd argue over which leader was best. And so what would it look like? Well, as John mentioned a few weeks ago, you'd have the Paul group on this side of the room and they'd say, we follow Paul. He's better than Apollos because he brought us to faith and founded this church. And then you'd have the Apollos group on this side of the room and they'd say, are you kidding? Paul is boring. We follow Apollos. He speaks with power and he knows his stuff. And so the Corinthians had formed these fan clubs over their leaders. But by doing this, they'd taken their eyes off Jesus and this shows, Paul says that this shows that they're immature. Now take a look at verses 1 to 4. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? So Paul says that the Corinthians are immature because they're focusing on their leaders instead of Jesus. And why was this thinking immature? Well, secondly, it's because they'd misunderstood the place of their leaders. They'd missed that their leaders are just servants of God, not heroes. And we see this in the next two paragraphs. So first, Paul says, what is Apollos and what is Paul? Well, we're just servants who God has given tasks to do. And he says, as servants, we're nothing without God. And he explains it using the image of workers in a field. And now just picture this. This is what he's saying. Imagine a worker goes into the field. He prepares the ground and he plants a seed. And then another worker comes along and he waters the plant that's growing. And we tend to think, good on the planter or good on the waterer for, for growing the wheat. But we need to recognise that it's God who gives the soil. It's God who gives the light and the air. And so ultimately, growth can only happen in the physical world because of God's work. And so what Paul's saying is it's the same with spiritual work too. He says, sure, I came and preached God's word at Corinth and other leaders have come and continued that work, but in the end, it's God who brought you to believe it. And so Paul says, in the end, as good as your leaders may be, as effective as they may be, we're actually nothing without God. We're just servants who do our job and God is the one who makes the gospel progress. And I remember how aware one of the pastors was of this at a church I was previously at. A congregation member told me uh, that during the pastor's time, the church had grown from about 20 people into hundreds. 
And when you see gross like this, you naturally think that it must be because uh, he's a gun preacher or he's got good jokes or he's really cool. Uh, And so I asked the pastor, uh, what do you think are some of the reasons for the church growing like this? Uh, And he said just one thing to me, prayer, just prayer. Because he was so aware that he's just a servant and it's only God who can bring people to believe the gospel. So Paul says that leaders are servants uh, and and they're nothing without God. And also he says if leaders are just servants, then they're also not better than one another. And how does this work? Well, imagine, think again of the workers in the field. Uh, the person who plants the seed and the person who waters it have different tasks. But they're both working towards the same purpose of seeing the grain grow. So they're not better than one another. And Paul says it's the same with gospel work. Uh, leaders have different tasks, but they're all working with the same purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And so leaders are just servants. They're not better than one another. And the fact that leaders are servants uh, shows that the, how immature the Corinthians are being in their thinking. Paul's saying uh, to them, thinking of your leaders like heroes is ridiculous. It's like children playing superheroes, uh, saying that Superman is better than Batman, when really all the leaders are just working towards the same purpose. So you rec- so he's saying to them, you need to recognise that your leaders are servants and focus on Jesus instead. Uh, take a look at verses 5 to 9. It says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So the Corinthians have misunderstood the place of leaders because they're just servants. And secondly, Paul says, it's because leaders are just servants that they're accountable to God. He's saying, just because some people are leaders, don't think they'll have it any easier on Judgment Day. In fact, if anything, they'll have it harder. You see, he now describes these leaders as builders. And so he says to them, as builders, you need to be careful how you build, because God is going to assess your work. And what will this look like? Well, on that day, you'll be standing with your building and there'll be a great fire that tests how well you've made it. And then God will reward you depending on whether your building survives or not. And so Paul tells them three possible things that could happen. First he says, uh, you may have been following my example in, min- in ministry. You've been preaching Christ crucified and refusing to water down the gospel, uh, even when people think it's foolish. Well, if that's the case, then you've been building with gold, silver and costly stones. And so when the blazing fire comes over your work, it will survive and you'll be rewarded. You'll have the joy of seeing people you've taught in heaven. And God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. The second possibility, he says, is it may be that you haven't been preaching Christ. 
Uh, Instead, you've just been telling people what they want to hear or what will make them feel good. And so sure, your church may have been big, but the people in it were, were never really Christians. And if that's the case, then you've built with wood, hay or straw. And when the fire comes, your building will be swallowed up in the flames. You'll suffer loss because you'll have nothing to show for your efforts. And although you'll still be saved, it will only be by the seat of your pants. And thirdly, he says, you may be someone who's actively taught false doctrine and so you've taken people to spiritual ruin. Well, if that's the case, God says that he won't show mercy. He will destroy you. And this makes sense because God's people are valuable to him. Uh, He's set them apart and given them his spirit. So if anyone harms his people, he takes it personally. And so Paul is saying that even leaders will be judged on judgment day. Uh, don't, uh, Don't put them up on pedestals as if they're exempt. Even they are accountable to God. And this is what we see in verses 10 to 17. Uh, we'll, t- we'll read these verses now. It says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver or costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's been built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So we've seen that the Corinthians are being immature because they've misunderstood the place of their leaders. But thirdly, Paul says that they're also immature because they've misunderstood their own place. Uh, And it's because they think too highly of themselves, as if they're really wise. You see, if you were one of the Corinthians back then, being wise in the eyes of the world was everything to you. And so you'd be thinking, I'm wise because I'm following an apostle, Paul. Or I'm wise because I'm following a great speaker, Apollos. But what does Paul think about this? Well, he says that you Corinthians think that you're wise, but you're being self-deceived. Because the world's wisdom, which you have, is foolish before God. And so he says something radical. He says, if you really want to be wise, you need to do something that seems utterly foolish. You need to stop focusing on your favourite leaders and focus on Jesus instead. That's true wisdom. And why is it that they're able to do this? Well, Paul says to the Corinthians, you don't need to think highly of yourselves because God has already given you more than you could ever imagine. You see, he says to them, since you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to God, everything is yours. You have it all. So those leaders that you're trying to claim as your own, well, they're already yours because they're servants of the church. But that's not all. You have much more than that too. You have eternal life. So you don't need to fear this fallen world, 
uh, because you belong to the world to come. You don't need to uh, cling to this life or fear death because you live for the life to come. And you don't need to worry about what will happen now or in the future because God controls the future to come. And so Paul's saying to the Corinthians, Corinthians, you don't need to think highly of yourselves because as Christians you already have more than you could ever imagine. Take a look at verses 18 to 23. It says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks that he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or, the, or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. And so we've seen that the Corinthians are immature because they've misunderstood the place of leaders and themselves. And I wonder if we still have the same problem. Do we feel more spiritual because of the leaders we choose to follow? Sure, we might not have the same sort of fan clubs as the Corinthians had, but do we still put certain leaders on pedestals? So, For example, Christian, famous Christian leaders... We think if I can listen to Tim Keller or Don Carson, then I don't need to go to church to hear my pastor because I've already got my source of spirituality. Or we can exalt our own leaders. We can think my church is better than all the others because its leaders are knowledgeable and cool. And you know, it is right for us to praise God for our church leaders and for us to learn from insights of people like Carson and Keller. But we have to be careful not to put them on pedestals because when we do this, we're saying that God can only work through the extraordinary leaders. And so in the end, uh, what we're doing is we're trusting in men for our spiritual growth. But as we've seen, this is distorted thinking because leaders are just servants. And so the only way any spiritual growth happens is through God. Uh, So like the Corinthians, we need to like the Corinthians needed to, we need to recognise our place as leaders. But also, the place of our leaders. But also, I wonder how much we think of, uh, how much we think about our place in life, that we're accountable to God. Uh, And although uh, the issue with the Corinth was to do with leaders being accountable, this actually applies to everyone. We're all accountable to God. It means that we'll all be tested on the last day. Uh, We'll have to give an account for how we've used our lives. And so while it's true that if you trust in Jesus, you'll be saved, uh, there'll also be a reward depending on what you've done. And it's only what you've done for Jesus that will stand. And so I wonder, what will this day be like for you? Uh, Will you be someone who's only lived for this life? You know, you've poured yourself into your job and tried to earn a promotion. Uh, You've spent all of your weekends working at trying to improve your house. You've invested all of your energy into trying to impress your friends. And so when your work is tested, uh, it will all be burned up. Uh, you'll, You'll get to heaven, but it will just be escaping through the flames. 
and you realise that you've wasted a lot of your life? Or will you be someone who's lived a radical life for Jesus? You've refused a job promotion so that you'll have the time to lead a Bible study. Uh, You may have a house that's not as nice as you like, uh, but you've made time to disciple other Christians. Uh, And you've invested energy into your friends, but it's by looking to share the gospel with them. And so when your work is tested, it survives on that day. And then when you enter into heaven, you have the great joy of seeing all the people you've brought to faith and encouraged along the way. You see, we need to be people who are living for the things that will last because we'll all have to give an account to God. But finally, uh, as, also as we've seen, we have the best motivation uh, for recognising our place and the place for our leaders because as Christians we belong to Jesus uh, and this means that God has given us everything. We don't need to put our leaders up on pedestals because God has already given them to us as servants of the church. And also we can live radical lives for Christ because he's given us something far better than we could ever imagine, eternal life. So we can be motivated by all that God has done for us. You see, we can be tempted, uh, just like the Corinthians, to think of our leaders too highly. As if uh, John MacArthur or uh, Billy Graham or John Piper are super spiritual and we, and we also tempted to think of ourselves too highly as well. But as we've seen, we have every reason to recognise the place of our leaders and ourselves because God has given us everything in Jesus. So surely that will motivate us to recognise the place of both our leaders and ourselves. Let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, uh, we thank you that you have been so gracious to us. Uh, more than we could ever imagine uh, because you've given us everything in Christ. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that you've given us our leaders uh, who who lead us in the faith uh, and that you've given us eternal life. Uh, And, Lord, we do pray that uh, this would be a motivation for us to see our leaders uh, in their proper place uh, as servants and that it's uh, Jesus who we need to be relying on first and foremost. Also, uh, we pray that uh, you'd help us to see ourselves in our proper place as accountable to you uh, and that this would motivate us to live lives that are pleasing to you. And we uh, pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.